The value of events from my perspective is the serendipity, finding a co-founder or an investor, you know, you do a deal, you find a customer, a partner. You know, you, you want to help people out and connect the dots. And that's really where a lot of value is. You want to give back and build that positive karma, and then you'll get that back over time. That's where I, I've had a lot of my learnings and a lot of the relationships. I put myself out there where I felt vulnerable and it turned out to, to help me down the road. Hi everyone, I'm Taiki and you're listening to New to Venture. It's the show that uncovers the secret world of venture capital and startups. From the multi-billion dollar exits to the biggest company blow-ups, if you don't know much about VC, you've come to the right place. It's time to get hype because the one and only Shai Goldman has graced our presence. Shai may be one of the most well-networked people I've ever met and a staple of the startup ecosystem, especially in New York City. He launched the Silicon Valley Bank early stage banking practice in New York, helping dozens of startups to exit. He was a previous venture partner at 500 Startups, now 500 Global, where he absolutely killed it as an investor and a fundraiser with four exits out of eight investments, which is absolutely absurd. Sourced the largest LP in that fund as well. He went back to SVB as a managing director where he organized multiple conferences and was the ultimate Swiss RV knife. Now he works at Brex, building community and supporting some of the top startups in the world. Oh yeah, and he's a father of two. So obviously this resume is absolutely crazy, but what's even more crazy is that like I left out a good amount of stuff and a good amount of other amazing accomplishments. So I'm super excited to dive deep into the world of startups with one of the goats. Shai Goldman, welcome to the show. Awesome. That's great to be here. And uh, I need a hype man like you. This That, that was a, <laughs> definitely hype me up, but I love the opening. Thank you. <laughs> that LinkedIn resume is just absurd. I could go on forever. But uh, before we dive into startups and venture capital, I want to start off talking about your blog. So doing research for this podcast episode was genuinely a blast because the blog was so fun to read. And I specifically liked reading about uh, your 10 years in New York City post. So I was born and raised in New York City. And last year I lived out in San Francisco for two months. And then a few years before that, lived in San Jose for about a month. As someone that considers home in both East Coast and the West Coast, which one has your heart? That's that's a tough question. Um, I, I love the Bay Area. Uh, and I love New York Metro, New York City uh, for different reasons, but maybe it, it, it's equal. Um, when I go back to the Bay Area, it always brings great memories of my childhood and early career. And it's uh, just a beautiful region as well. And so um, I love both for very different reasons. Uh, New York has been amazing professionally. Uh, my kids were born here. Um, so a lot of great memories here and uh, the energy of the New York City. Uh, it's really unparalleled, and so uh, that's kind of what keeps me here is, is the energy of the city. You can't get that anywhere else in the U.S. Does that mean that you're now a supporter of New York sports teams? Or are you still Warriors, 49ers all the way? Yeah, so I'm still a Bay Area sports fan. I did adopt uh, a couple teams locally just so I can cheer for you know, and see more games. So I adopted the Brooklyn Nets only because from Jersey to Brooklyn after I moved here. And then I adopted the the Mets, which uh, has a history. You know, the Giants started in New York, and there's a history of the Giants and the Mets. And so, um, and the ballpark is beautiful. It's the same uh, ballpark architect 
of where the Giants play is the same one where the Mets play. And so, um, anyhow, uh, and I love going to Queens and then riding on the seven to get there. Uh, so those are kind of my two local teams. Yeah, it's interesting. I, as someone who grew up in New York, I actually was never a fan of the New York team. So I feel kind of like a fake New Yorker. I feel like a lot of New Yorkers have pride, like deep, deep pride. But I was actually a Warriors fan and a 49ers fan because I always wanted to be based in California. Talking about this difference between East Coast and West Coast, you've spent some time in the startup and VC ecosystems on both the coasts. So is there anything different about maybe the culture or innovation out in the Bay Area versus New York? Yeah, yeah, there's definitely some differences. I would say the history of the Bay Area tech ecosystem goes back, you know, to the 50s and 60s, right? So just the the history of tech and innovation um, is much deeper in the Bay Area. There's There has been a lot of innovation in the New York metro area, I think with Bell Labs and um, a lot of technology, but as far as a lot of semiconductor and venture-backed companies and really the bank VC ecosystem, that started in the Bay Area back in the 50s, 60s. And so, you know, you, you can't sort of redo that in New York now. And so I always advise people, you know, whether it's founders or VCs who are not in the Bay Area <clears throat> to spend time there. It, it is really kind of the mecca of tech adventure. And so um, I think there's... There's a lot of companies, there's a deep, rich, rich history. Um, and so it's important to sp spend some time there in your career. I was fortunate enough to start my career in the Bay Area and build these really long lasting relationships. And so when I moved to New York, that really helped me. But if you are in New York or another metro area and you haven't really spent time in the Bay Area professionally, uh, I think it's important to spend maybe a year or two of your career there and build those ties and really understand and, and, and really, um, just connect uh, to all the founders and VCs out there. Yeah, 100%. When I was out there just for two months, I felt the access to top tier VC firms and top tier startups is, is really like no other um, than San Francisco and the Bay Area. I also happened to be there during uh, SF Tech Week, which I think actually a lot of people took as a joke originally because SF is Tech Week every single week. So, um, and you know what's so interesting is, is New York Tech Week just happened, right? Last week was New York Tech Week. So I guess in the spirit of those sort of things, uh, were there any events that you had attended that you really enjoyed? Yeah, I mean, so for Tech Week, well, yeah, at Brex, we, we did a couple of events. We did, I think, six in total. Uh, the two main events that uh, I really enjoyed was uh, co-working. It was really daytime. You know, a lot of founders and VCs were visiting. They don't have a place to plug in, do coffee, do some Zoom calls. And so we did two days of co-working in Union Square, coffee, food, Wi-Fi, uh, good company. And so um, it was just a great place to recharge. So I really enjoyed that. At Brex, we did an offsite in parallel to Tech Week because a lot of people are flying in from around the country. We're a fully remote organization. So I wanted a lot of my colleagues to feel like what New York Tech Week was about. So we did two things in parallel. It was a, it was a fun week, very tiring because every night there was one, either offsite activity for my team or New York Tech Week activity. Um, but I think similar to, to the SF, I think Tech Week is every week in New York. Uh, there are more startups, more early stage startups now in New York uh, than San Francisco. And that's just more of a fact. I've been bullish on both cities, but there are more startups here. The energy here is amazing. Like I was saying, and 
the net, the number of visitors are here every week from around the country and around the globe for tech um, every year that increases. And so it's tech week every week. Um, but it's nice to have kind of a week to celebrate and welcome people from the outside and do a lot of events. Uh, I think there's like 400 events all together. It's a, it's a bit of bananas, but I think it's always fun to visit New York. There's always some events happening every night and uh, the number of events actually increases over time. I remember my my first New York City Tech Week was was last year uh, with the, where I first started going to events. And to be completely honest, as someone who was like new to the space, I always felt a little intimidated going to these events and talking to these these big name VCs or these big founders that would show up or be on a panel. So I actually wanted to ask you, as someone who has been to many events and maybe hosted even more, do you have any advice for how someone can make the most out of their time at a networking event? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, you know, I've attended thousands of events. I've hosted probably thousands of events in my career. There, there's kind of two perspectives. There's, uh, and people will tend to become a bit dogmatic about this. Some people are like, don't go to any events. It's a total waste of time. And some people are, are saying I go to all the events. And so I think the, the truth is somewhere in the middle. The value of events from my perspective is the serendipity of finding a co-founder or an investor um, or someone, you know, you do a deal, you find a customer, a partner. And so going to events has value professionally and for your business. It's all about picking which events to go to and the frequency of them and, you know, what value you're getting, but also what value you're giving. And so, um, it's also finding like what, what sort of events work with your style and your community, or maybe it's a certain sector of company or stage. And so, um, there's a bit of like feeling out which events are best for you professionally, but I encourage people who had events events to start going and finding what the right sweet spot for them is. And then you, you know, as you sort of get plugged into the community, you get to be, you know, you're sort of filtering a little more and the bar raises and you want to go more exclusive things and that sort of thing. And so, um, I, I basically, the, the TLDR is, you know, go to events, there is value there and then find the, the right, the right ones for you over time. And I think a big part of events is also helping others. And so it's not about just taking, it's about giving. And so it's a two way street. And so. You know, you, you want to help people out and connect the dots. And that's really the, where a lot of the value is. You want to give back and build that positive karma. And then you'll get that back over time. Yeah, there's a lot I want to add here. I, I completely agree. And I would say that the, the actions that you take at these networking events and the people that you meet end up creating these ripple effects, create chemical reactions down the line with other things that you've done and other ripple effects that you've made. And a great example of this is actually this podcast. So you and the Brex team, specifically Jonathan Chang, who I had as an as a guest for an earlier episode, um, I went to an LA Tech Week event at one of the Hollywood Hills houses, and I met Jonathan there for the first time. But I also met Jonathan's good friend Michelle. And once I met Michelle, I got her contact information. And when I moved to SF last year. Uh, I grabbed coffee with her and we were talking about me building this podcast and I was really struggling with finding my niche when she had said, maybe your niche is that you have a fresh perspective. You're not someone who's deeply educated, but someone who just wants to learn. 
And that was the inception of this podcast. So that's an example of how important it is to go to these networking events because you never know what kind of chemical reactions will happen later down the line. Uh, well, that's, that's amazing. Um, I guess a couple, a couple of comments. One, you, know, you referenced Jonathan, so that's my colleague, Jonathan Chang at Brex, just so people have context. On the podcast, to, to your point, it's sort of you, you are bringing kind of a fresh lens and asking different questions and maybe someone who has 20 years of experience. I think that is a, a good angle. Advice for people who are listening is it's important to just kind of get going on projects. You can get caught up on, you know, why I shouldn't do the podcast or why I shouldn't do the newsletter or why I shouldn't do the blogging or why I should be on Twitter and things. You get caught up like on how to do it. And the best thing is really to get going. And so I know a lot of people get caught up on, on the how. And I'd say, you know, get in motion, just get going, you know, experiment. Maybe it doesn't work out, but just try something new. Yeah, well said. I'd like to go a little bit back to hosting events and being a big part of the ecosystems in both the East Coast and West Coast. So since starting your career in startups and venture capital, I feel like you've had the opportunity to see technology advance quite a lot. I mean, you've seen a global pandemic. So has networking events and startup and VC events changed over the years? I feel like I haven't seen as many pitch days like when i first joined the venture ecosystem i was expecting to see more demo days and pitch days but i feel like that's sort of a thing of the past but correct me if i'm wrong but have you seen things change over the years yeah i mean i'd say a lot of the events are the same i've been in the you know startup industry for about 20 plus years now and you know a lot of events are conferences that doesn't change you know you have private dinners or dinners or breakfast events and so it's more or less the same. I do believe that the the idea of kind of demos have we haven't seen much of those, and I've thought about bringing that back at least in New York because uh, the most one of the biggest events in New York was the New York Tech Meetup. That was all about demoing your technology and and your software, and it wasn't about asking for money or how about your your fundraising or your pitch deck. It was more on just show me the software, and there's questions the technology and not about how much you're raising. And so I, I'd love to sort of see more events where you're kind of showcasing tech and so I think there's an opportunity to do some of that. But generally speaking, the, the events are, are generally the same. I think the, they're becoming more thematic. So you have AI and Web3 and uh, infrastructure and security and consumer. And so you have a lot more kind of disparate events based on certain niches, which is a positive thing. So we've seen more of that as there's like more founders, more VCs, you get smaller pockets of, of events that are differentiated that are not just tech or venture, they're about a certain subsector. So that's a positive thing. Kind of echoing that as well. It seems like technology has allowed for hundreds of thousands of people to apply to each event. For, because of that, it's hard for some of these generalist large events to curate value for their attendees. So they're trying to move more towards, you know, thematic, more specialized, a little bit more intimate events. And I think that's definitely for the better. I'm called to go back and ask about a little bit, hear a little bit more about your origin stories. Uh, you said that you had, you know, 20 years worth of experience in startups in VC. I'd kind of like to hear where it all started from. How, how'd you get interested in this space? Sure. 
Yeah. So uh, my family has some connections to tech. Uh, my my mother, uh, Brigitte Levy, she was uh, employee number one at a venture-backed scale company that went IPO in, back in the dot-com bu bubble, so like 99,000. Uh, my brother, he's been working with tech startups, doing software sales, um, and then some uncles. And so I had some connection to tech, although I wasn't that into it personally. My first job out of uh, school was at uh, Silicon Valley Bank. That really gave me the exposure to tech. I didn't really have that on campus, unfortunately. Uh, I think now a lot of campuses have more tech and startups, but when I was going to Santa Clara University, um, unfortunately, despite them being in Silicon Valley, they didn't really have startup things on campus. And so I really got more of a feel of the tech community once I joined SVB and all the customers were VC funds and startups. My, my role was very, very junior. I came in at the bottom of the organization, um, but that's where I got my exposure. And then once I got the exposure to tech and venture, I, I really fell in love with this, the sandbox that we're all in. And uh, I knew early at that point that my, the rest of my career would be in the sandbox. And, you know, whatever I do you know, going forward will we'll be in the sandbox. And um, I think it's, it's so inspiring to meet with founders. And, you know, those founders have taken the leap to quit their jobs and, and take a financial risk. I get inspired when I meet with founders. And that's really the, the funnest part of being in this community is supporting founders and their vision. And maybe I don't have the risk appetite to start a company. Maybe I will at some point, but to earn yourself with someone who has, who can take that risk, uh, whether they make it or they fail, they, they at least made the leap. He's all up supporting the, the vision of what they're doing. So that's kind of how I got into it a little bit and kind of why I've stayed uh, in the sandbox. I really feel you on that. Startups and, and founders especially are, some of the greatest conversations that I've ever had, just because they're so passionate, they know so much and, and they care, they care so much that these conversations are always really fun and really interesting and intellectually stimulating. I'm curious to hear what it was that you did at SVB when you first joined them. Yeah, my, my role was interesting. So I was, I was basically half bank teller, half customer support rep. So really, I came in at the most junior ranks. And so that was my position. I was working in the private bank. And so all the customers were really, you know, some pretty influential VCs and, and founders. So I, I remember, I remember Eugene Kleiner and he, he's a um, very famous figure at KPCB. So Kleiner, Kleiner Perkins, so Eugene Kleiner up Kleiner Perkins, he used to come into the branch. At the time, I didn't, I didn't really know who he was. Like, no one said, like, oh, my God, you know, do you know who this person is? Like, this, this, someone who is historic in venture. He wasn't, he wasn't actively really working anymore, but it was pretty cool to have that connection. And people like that were, were customers. Yeah, I, I wish I, I had a better grasp of who these figures were. When I was uh, in my early 20s, no one really taught me these things. But looking back where I was like, wow, that's that was... I, sh I wish I asked him, you know, questions about the industry when he was in front of me. But yeah, that, I came in a very junior position and I, I rose through the organization uh, wearing a lot of different hats and jumping into different divisions. Yeah, I think that's a perfect segue. I I'm really curious to hear what were sort of the main turning points in your life and your career. So you said you were with SVB and you rose up the ranks. 
I feel like at some point down this line here, you had realized that networking was one of your superpowers and like hosting events and connecting people and providing value. I'd sort of like to hear about some of the key learnings that you've had in that journey with SVB. Well, going going back to networking, you mentioned about like some people don't want to go to events. It ties into the experience. But when I joined SVB, I, my job wasn't to be networking because I was a teller. I was basically a glorified teller and customer service rep. So there was no point in being like networking. But I knew that I would need to do networking well over time. I was very scared to like approach people and was terrible at public speaking and was just nervous in general. And so I started going to events just to get more comfortable with people. And so I would go to events where my, my job for me was to show up at the events, exchange uh, three business cards, which was a thing back in the day. I brought a stack of business cards with me and my focus was only to exchange a card with three individuals, uh, give them the pitch of the SVV. And if I did that, then I would leave. And so, um, I just had to keep going and I was, it was so uncomfortable, like looking backwards. But I had to force myself to be in these awkward positions. And then I just got more more comfortable over time at these events. And But no one told me to do that. I just kind of forced myself. So I was not a natural a networker, uh, not a natural public speaker, and I still uh, am not. But over time, I learned how to network, and I, I knew that was an important thing for the industry. And I think one of the skills that I, I, I figured out early was understanding what people need as far as connections, like founder, what kind of a VC they're looking for, or if it's a VC, what kind of founder they're looking for, kind of connecting the, dot, the dots. I had um, some specialty around that, but I was able to kind of be this human router. And so I figured that early on in my career. Um, as far as turning points at SCB, two, two groups that I joined, one group was called Venture Exchange, which was part of SVB Capital, the investing arm of the organization. Uh, Venture Exchange was a matchmaking, effectively like a private placement offering, but no cost. So basically, matching founders and VCs together. That was my, my full-time job. My job for three years was being this human router and there was no cash compensation for the service. It was more of a value add. So that was a point where I got to basically meet every day founders and VCs and my job was just to connect the dots. That was a turning point. The second turning point was um, convincing my my boss at the time, John Chena, to, um, to move to New York City um, a few ingredients coming together in New York City in 2010. And I asked my boss to move to New York to build this early stage practice for SVB. And um, it, it took some convincing, um, but that move to New York City, which was, I think at, the, at that time, a contrarian bet. People were, why, am I, why would I leave the Bay Area and go to New York, which was maybe a, the third or fourth biggest tech market behind maybe Boston, um, and you know maybe Seattle, and so it was not number number two at the point at that time. So that 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 risk that I took in convincing the organization to move to move to New York City was a huge turning uh, point in my career. And New York City definitely thanks you for that. I feel like you've played an integral role into this blooming New York City tech ecosystem. I kind of want to ask about this special unique role of connecting founders to VCs that might be interested. So I, I joined an on-campus organization when I was in college whose sole purpose was to connect founders to the right VCs and just like have them have conversations, hopefully facilitate some funding. 
And a lot of that job ended up being sending out a lot of cold emails. That's the hardest thing for people to swallow for people who are trying to network. It's just, it's a bunch of cold emails. Is that something that you, at the end of the day, found joy in? Or was there some other strategy that you implemented to really exponentially grow that network? Or was it mostly hosting events that put everything together? Yeah, I did a lot of cold emails to both uh, founders and VCs. And uh, I don't like I don't like doing email in general. And so I do not like doing cold emails. Um, I feel like I'm invading someone's privacy in a way. And, but I, I would reach out to someone where I think I can maybe add some value. And so, yeah, I would reach, reach out to, to founders and VCs. Um, they didn't know who I was, but I try to, you know, in the email, provide context of like why it would be interesting for them meet with me for a coffee, you know, which is, you know, 15, 30 minutes. Um, and so I did a lot of that and that opened a lot of doors and then over time, and I still do cold outbound emails. Even now I, I reach out to people, uh, mostly, you know, founders and some VCs and, and just, uh, get to know them. And so you're, you're it feels like you're kind of taking a risk because you're putting yourself out there and you might get it. Like no one likes being rejected, even an email, meaning they don't answer your email or their response to your email are like, no, thanks. And so I think putting your position, putting yourself in a position uh, where you're uncomfortable is really important in your career and in business. And the more you can make yourself uncomfortable, I think the better it is for your career. And so that's where I, I've had a lot of my learnings and a lot of the relationships where I put myself out, out there where, it, where I felt vulnerable and it turned out to, to help me down the road. Well said. That's something that I definitely still have to work on. I think you had mentioned this this key aspect here about providing value to those that you reach out to and those that you want to build relationships with. And I found that that's the most difficult thing as a young person in the space of startups and VC. It seems like the value that I can provide isn't isn't valuable enough. So I guess the question here would be, do you have any advice for those that are newer to the space that are looking to provide value, but don't have the connections yet, or maybe like don't have the expertise? What are some ways that they can provide value, get their foot in the door and start building these connections? Yeah. So I think there's some things that I wouldn't do, right? So sometimes when you're, you're reaching out to people you don't know, you're kind of trying to reach to the heavy hitters. And when I was, 25, I'm not trying to reach out to the best VC or the best founder in the world. Like, what's the context there? Like, why are they going to take my time? So, you know, you sort of want to come down the ladder uh, a bit and, and go try to connect with people that are maybe a few levels above you as far as experience or seniority. And so going right straight to the top, even for me now, that's pretty hard to do. You know, so like, I'm not going to go reach out to the top CEOs of all these public companies because it's like, what's the context here? No, I'm not going to help them. So I think you have to sort of come down a bit and figure out, okay, what's more attainable. Um, so that's, that's first thing is like figuring out, okay, where you want to stretch yourself but not go to like the impossible. And then it's, you know, most people are trying to hire or, or find, uh, companies to invest in. Right. So if you're a VC, you're trying to find deals. If you're, um, um, if you're a founder, you're trying to find a customer or maybe you're trying to find a VC, uh, and they're all on both sides. They're all recruiting. You're right. VCs are recruiting junior VCs, associates and principals. Founders are recruiting the VP of engineering or head of sales. And so 
you know, it's really like the currency is your, your relationships. And so you might know who is, um, um, a VP of engineering, that might be an attainable relationship that you have in your Rolodex, or you might know a really sharp associate, another venture fund that's looking to, to join another VC fund. And maybe that's your currency. And you're like, Hey, I, I'm plugged into a bunch of these associates in, in New York. I see you're, you're hiring, you know, can we grab coffee? And, um, I'd love to learn more about what you're, what you're looking to hire for. And yeah, so I, I guess trying to find an angle with the human connections or the, that, that sort of currency. I, I want to talk a little bit about this career journey that you've had. So you built up SVB's New York City banking practice. What at Brex attracted you so much where you felt like this is something that I really want to be a part of? Yeah, there's a few things in between um, those, those times. So, you know, I moved to New York in January of 2011 to set up the early stage banking practice for SVB and did that successfully. Um, I had an opportunity to join a VC fund a little bit after at 500 startups. And so I, I, I took that opportunity because for me, it was more around like, you know, I, I'm always in learning mode. So I never take another job for, for, for money. That's not, that's not even the, in the, in the formula of decision-making framework. It's more like, well, would I learn more? Will this advance my career? Um, and so, um, this opportunity, you know, I sort of, I got to join 500 startups and do venture investing and LP fundraising and portfolio management and helping with the accelerator. And those are things that, uh, I wouldn't have had at SVB. So I, I took that opportunity. So I was there for, for a couple of years and then I rejoined SVB. The other role that I always wanted at SVB, again, going back to learning. And so there's another opportunity at SVB. So I rejoined SVB in that role. Um, and then, you know, the opportunity of Brex, again, is, it, it sort of allowed me to get a new experience, uh, learn new things. And so I think the common thread for me was all, always about, you know, what can I learn um, as an individual? And it, it's not about progressing my career or, or making more money. It's never part of my decision-making framework. Um, obviously, there needs to be like a comp to, to live, but... For me, I always, the, the experience is most, is most important. And so yeah, the opportunity of Brex was, you know, a great platform, uh, Bruce Wallace, who I worked closely with at SVB had joined Brex. And so that was my natural connection with Brex and the, you know, kind of understand the vision of what, uh, they were building and the opportunity, uh, to build a team was interesting for me. And so I made that jump to, to Brex and I joined them about two and a half years ago. I kind of want to dive deeper into that. So you had talked about this quest for learning and experience. So in these two and a half years with Brex, what were some of the key learnings that you've had? Because I know the Brex team that you're currently heading is extremely successful. So I'd love to hear some of the key learnings that you've had in this time. Yeah. I mean, part of the learnings was just working for uh, uh, a scaled venture back startup. So I didn't have that experience. I never actually worked for a startup. When I joined 500 startups, although it was a venture fund, it did have a lot of the, you know, similar characteristics of a startup as far as how fast it was growing from a people perspective and operations and things break down. And so it's different to actually work for a tech startup and I didn't have that. And so a lot of my learning at Brex really has been not in my specific role, but really um, having 
um, exposure to product and the engineering and uh, developing new products that I might have some influence on, but really a lot of it was out of my control, but learning how we, how we build, how we scale, um, how we communicate. Um, those are, those are things that actually have been the, the greatest learning for me was more about, uh, other groups that I'm not a part of, but watching some of the executives, you know, make, make certain decisions, whether they're right or wrong. Um, having that exposure has been really interesting for my direct exposure to my role. It's really a kind of building a team from scratch. So that's been, um, a great experience to figure out what kind of skill sets and really having, having, um, the opportunity to kind of like call the shots on who to hire. Certainly, you know, we, we, we interview as a panel, but being able to put my fingerprints on the kind of people that we hire and building a team and the persona that has been, has been a great experience for me. Yeah. It sounds super fulfilling. I remember ever since the, the XIR team came out or like they, it was, you know, they were making big headlines in startup ecosystems. I was always obsessed with trying to get an internship with, with your team, Shai. I'm not sure if you've heard about that, but I've, I reached out to a lot of the other XIRs that you've worked with. I'd like to dive deeper into your previous experience with 500 startups, actually making investments, doing like LP management, helping out with the accelerator more, um, I guess like in an advisory role with startups, but a different from a different lens. So I think you actually had had this LinkedIn or Twitter post saying how difficult venture capital is, right? The odds are like extremely stacked against you because you're searching for those one or two unicorns that will return the fun. And so based off your resume and reading some of the things that you've written down on LinkedIn, you were extremely successful at 500 startups. So what was the, what was the secret sauce for you? What was, what were some of the attributes that made you so successful there? Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure if I was extremely successful, but I you know from, I didn't have like a fund returner, but I, I generated, um, you know, DPI and cash back to the firm and the LPs. And so, um, I, I've added more value, you know, than, than what the cost basis is for me, um, and have returned, you know, 10 X on one investment. I have a 25 X markup on one, a couple, it's like one X. So, you know, not like any grand slams, but for my short time there, I have, uh, provided, you know, some DPI for the firm and fees. So. Uh, and and uh, helped you know generate carry for the LPs and so I'm I'm thankful for that experience um, but didn't have uh, any fund makers so I don't want to like oversell you know what I did from investing but I I have like a I'm I'm in the black so to speak as an investor not not too many investors can say that especially environment so uh, that that's great. Um, I mean, the cool thing with 500 was just the volume, right? So it, it's, um, they're, you know, they're making at the time, I don't know, like 20, 30 investments per month. Uh, I'm trying to remember the volume, but it was a huge volume. And so you see a lot of founders and you, you understand, you know, you get to look, kind of learn and hone in. There is a lot of pattern matching, which, which is good or bad. But I think when you get exposed to a ton of startups, you start understanding a little more of like what, what are important ingredients have a chance for that, 
uh, founder to, to generate money for you and for the LPs. And so I think just the volume exposure was, was super interesting and the kind of the pattern matching that ties to that. Um, and then the, the LP side was really challenging because the, the pitch of 500 was a very unique firm, um, as far as high volume investing, having an accelerator investing overseas, um, the pitch was not down the fairway. And so a lot of LPs, they want a very simple story and they're also, and so 500 was not, if you're, if you're a pattern matching LP, it didn't look like your typical fund. And so that made it, I think in some ways to sell. And so I was talking to a lot of LPs, got a lot of no's, but certainly got some yeses and got the largest LP and in, in fund two for them. Um, but 500 was, um, um, I think they were the leader in many ways, as far as brain building, going international really early. So many firms, their model, um, as far as high volume, um, if you look at YC now, the batches are huge, right? And, and so 500 was really early in sort of this high volume, but you can actually generate returns with that sort of investing model. Although a lot, a lot of people will, will poo poo the concept, uh, it, it can't work and it has worked for firms. And I think having this global portfolio was a super unique thing of hopping on planes, doing deals all over the world. Um, a lot of firms have copied that and they were really early. So kudos to them. Yeah. Super cool stuff. Before I do my ceremonial final questions, I want to take this time to get a little bit introspective and think about your career as a whole here. I, I want to go back and sort of hear the the highlights and lowlights of your time working in this space the highlights really is you know meeting this founder really early and then see them be successful at big exit or ipo and so it's for me it's been really cool to meet these founders at sometimes inception or you know pre-seed seed and then because I've been doing this for 20 plus years, I've seen people get to the other side, meaning an IPO. And I met that founder really early and, and you know, track them closely. And, you know, a lot of the times that I'll continue the relationship and they might've forgotten about me at this point, but to, to sort of witness that journey from either, I guess, afar in some ways, that's been the, really the most interesting thing of being in this ecosystem is seeing this, you know, it takes time. It could take, you know, 10, 12, 14 years to get this his big exit. And so I witnessed that and that's been pretty, pretty neat. Um, the downside, you know, there's a, just a lot of, uh, macro and, you know, the, the down markets, um, it's, it's kind of a grind to go through these down markets. So I've been in three down markets and it's never fun, uh, being part of that. And, and knowing that they'll, they'll, there's always going to be another down market at some point. And so, yeah, that, that part is, is just not so fun. Yeah, absolutely. And this last question you might have to dig a little deep for, um, and so take it any way that you'd like, but what do you want your legacy to be when all is said and done and your time with startups and VC has come to an end, what do you want your legacy to be? Do you want to be that super connector? What do you want to be known for? You know, just uh, helping helping people, connecting the dots, uh, moving the business forward for individuals, and kind of showing that you can um, you can genuinely sort of give back to people, and it's helpful for for multiple parties. And I think um, 
creating kind of positive karma, there's benefits to that. And so hopefully other people will sort of see that, whether they recognize that or not. And, and hopefully they can kind of, I could sort of be a model for that. And so not everything's so transactional. And so a lot of the business is transactional, but I think you can have transactional part to the relationship, but also, uh, you know, just have these, these great, um, human relationships. Love it. Shy. Unfortunately, our time has come to an end, but it's time for the last final ceremonial ask, which is these three final questions. Are you ready, Shai? All right. So in the spirit of being new to venture capital, uh, if you were to start your career from scratch with no connections, but the same knowledge that you have now, how would you get back to where you are? Yeah, I think it's going back to my earlier point, like taking more risks. Like in my journey, I could have taken more risks. Um, again, like doing a podcast, doing a newsletter, those are all things I, I thought about, but I thought about them too long and I should have just been in action. And so uh, people told me like 10 plus years ago to do these things. And, you know, I could have had like, you know, an amazing newsletter and like that could actually be like a standalone business. Uh, so I think, you know, taking taking more risks, uh, it's something that uh, I wish I did. And um, so and then, you know, when, when, you're, when you're younger, it's easier to take risks because for financial considerations. Um, but I guess some, some of the things are not financial. It's more like you don't want to put yourself out there and fail. And so it's not not tied to dollars and cents. It's more around insecurities. And so I would say, you know, take, take these risks. Um, and I wish I did more of those. And that would probably, would probably would have accelerated my journey. Oh, well said. I love that. And definitely I will take that to heart. Um, the next two questions are to shout out a VC or an investor that you think has been absolutely killing the game recently, maybe has some unique takes or wrote a fantastic article or like had personally helped you grow. And the last one is to shout out a startup that you think will change the world. So for me, I, I think like one person that's, you know, I just appreciated kind of listening to, listening to and, and learning from is, uh, Josh Wolf at Lux Capital. And so, um, I just, I, I just love his perspective on, on the world and, and humanity and also on the investment side, but it makes me sort of question kind of my human biases and, um, not get caught up in certain camps of thought and, um, to question things. And, uh, also is just a, a, a good person, but also a successful inventor and, um, is, um, you know, a family man. And so, uh, and then also a local New Yorker and he gives back. And so he kind of like checks the boxes on a lot of different things, but the things that are most interesting are not really the venture side. It's the other aspects. And the last one is to shout out a startup that you think will change the world. Yeah. So I would say, uh, Starlink is something that really could change the, the world or a company like that. So it doesn't, doesn't necessarily have to be Starlink. It could be another company, um, you know, where you, you have internet access around the world. Um, you have less dependency on a, on a country or, um, an internet platform player. And so you're basically bypassing, uh, countries, uh, whether they're doing good or bad or you're dependent on a particular company um, and giving people access to, to information um, is I think just super important. And so, and then just the cost of internet, there's some 
remote areas that just don't have internet and those individuals, um, you know, they, they, they can put themselves in a better position to not only learn, but maybe make money. And, um, so I think access to internet around the world is super important and not be dependent on a specific country. Showing that off is super critical. And so it doesn't have to be them per se, but, uh, they're, they're clearly the number one leader. And so, um, I hope there's competition with them, but I'm, I'm rooting for them. Oh, love it. What a fantastic product and an even better way to end the show. Shai, thank you so much for joining me for the past hour. I hope I'll see you around New York sometime soon. Awesome. Thanks for, for inviting me. Thanks, Shai. Take care. Yep. Bye.